I'm in this subject today called Money Matters. As a matter of fact, I'll be talking about for the next couple of minutes, God's economy versus man's economy. In man's economy, money is the master, the king of someone's life. In God's economy, of course, Jesus is the Lord. He's the master. He's the king of someone's life. This may sound like, you know, a real simple statement, but listen to this. But we can, every single one of us, especially with the influence of money, can be subtly controlled by the way money controls people, and we don't even realize it. For example, example, who do you consult before you do a large purchase? Do you consult the Lord or do you consult, you know, your bank account? And, you know, these decisions we make as far as buying a house or maybe a change in a job or a change to a job or even uh, as big a purchase as a car, do we seek the Lord or do we seek our own bank accounts? When, when you're considering these situations, when you ask the Lord, then you're in partnership with Him. When you don't ask the Lord, then you're in partnership with the bank or the lending institution and your own wisdom. Here's another question. Do your goals reflect man's economy or God's economy? Again, we can choose to operate in God's economy, but if our goals are just based upon the present economical situations, then we're limiting ourselves. Have you ever heard it said that cash is king? How about that? Ever, you know, I grew up with hearing that. I even heard my daddy say that. Cash is king. Well, do we realize when we say that, this sounds very subtle, ladies and gentlemen, but listen to this. If cash is king, which it is in the economy of this world, but now in God's economy, cash is not king, Jesus is Lord. And if you put cash as king, then you're submitting yourself not to his lordship, but to the world system. And how many of us know the world system is broke? I mean, it is not in a healthy state, and it has not been. However, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6 in the New Living Translation. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Notice what it says here in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 in the Living Translation. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be not, be con- listen to this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be not content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. My helper. What will, what, what, I will, excuse me. The Lord is my helper. I will not. What can man do for me? That new King James flips me sometimes. Anyway, notice what it says here. I, I thought, do you, we not have these on the screens? Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, verse number six. Verse number, Hebrews 13, um, Hebrews 13, goodness gracious, Hebrews 13, 5, verse 6, verse verse 5, please. I was reading out the New Living Translation. Okay, uh, we're, we're miscommunicating here. Okay, don't, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Notice that phrase there. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. And that's the thing, again, that's the difference between God's economy versus man's economy. In the world of man's economy, what's the opposite of what we're talking about? You're loving money. You're loving what it can do for you. But then there's this point where you're, notice what it says, when you love money, and it says don't to love money, and then you're, notice what this next phrase says, you're not, satis- you're not satisfied with what you have. And there's the thing. I was with someone recently, and they're purchasing another home. And I, I thought to myself, going back, could you please put this verse of Scripture back? Going back to this verse of Scripture here. There you go. Thank you. Uh, it says, don't be satisfied with what you have. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought, well, do you not like the verse that, I mean the verse, the, the house that you currently have? 
I mean, you're not satisfied. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to communicate with these screens and back and forth here. So y'all just bear with me because I'm going to get through this. To be satisfied with what you have. And so this person's trying to, trying to, you know, be content with buying another house. And I just looked at him. I said, you have a really beautiful home. It's only a couple of years old. Why do you, I just, I just know in my heart, Pastor Brian, if I could get that other house at this other location and have two houses, I'm going to be satisfied. And, you know, that's not, that's not really what's the best thing here. It says, don't love that. There's nothing wrong with having two or three houses. There's nothing wrong with having property. But what is important here is not to be in love with that and not to subject yourself. Because, by the way, two houses is two more things, twice the responsibility. You know, two more houses is twice the, the functioning of things you got to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, getting your love and your priorities where they need to be, that's the most important thing. Hey, I want to share with you some points here as far as living in God's economy. There's some simple things, and we've got someone that's going to come up and help us in just a minute. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Uh, I want to share this first statement, and it's really relevant to what happened this week with Mr. Ken Bauer's homegoing celebration. I thought a lot about this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through steel. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where there are thieves, nor do break in and steal. Notice what it says again in verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Verse 19 again, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and where moth, excuse me, I am telling you what, this is amazing, trying to read the Bible today. Do not lay for your, do not, good gracious, slow down. Do, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. Verse 20, please. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Today, uh, this week when I was doing Ken Bauer's uh, homegoing service, I was thinking about these verses of Scripture because of what he has done as far as living a legacy. He left a legacy of him in Miss Virginia of that parking lot aspect out there concerning that flagpole. He was a true patriot of a man, and he loved America. And that flagpole is now, that whole area out there was a gift given by them, and now it's a treasure for Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you come by this parking lot and you see that flagpole out there. You see that area. You see that flag out there. You say, Pastor Brian, is that what it's talking about here? Well, again, it's an eternal thing. Just like with John and Tracy Cook, John and Grace Cook, not Tracy Cook, John and Grace Cook. Of course, John went to be heaven, uh, these, both of these, these individuals, all three of these individuals went to be with the Lord in the last year. And um, John Cook, though, every time you park on that parking lot out there, that's a part of his legacy that he left as unto the Lord. You know, you say, Pastor Brian, are we trying to buy ourselves into eternity? No, not necessarily, but you, live, uh, you leave a memorial. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But again, notice what it says here. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. And that's the thing I admire about this couples that were with us, and um, especially John Cook, the day he called me, it was on a Saturday afternoon, and he asked me, he said, Pastor Brian, first of all, a while back, he called me and, and told me, he said, you know, Pastor Brian, he said, I came to this church as a, as a wealthy businessman, 
and had a very successful company. And he said, you know, it, it was, it, I'd never seen anybody approach another person had the wealth that I had and the manner in which you did when not wanting something from me. And he said, that impressed me. And second of all, he said, your relationship with the Lord and your genuine sincerity to see me have a better relationship with the Lord is what changed my life. And he said that, you know, he wanted to do something eternal for the glory of God. That was the exact words that Saturday afternoon. And he asked me, how much would it be to pay the remainder of the balance of trying to get in the parking lot done? And I told him, I said, well, I think, you know, it's $130,000, I think, or something like that. Anyway, and he said, I'll bring it tomorrow. <laughs> so, and, and I'll have it to you. And um, I said, well, John, I appreciate, you know, we appreciate this immensely, but that's between you and the Lord. It has nothing to do. God's going to meet that need over time. But these are the words he said to me. He said, I'm not doing it for you necessarily. I'm not doing it for the church, even though I am, and I am. He said, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And God blessed me with this business, and I want to honor him with it. And I want, to, I want my life to be a legacy to him. And little did I know that it would truly be a legacy now, two years later. But my point with all that, money is a revealer of motives of the heart. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Watch this. This is, this is an interesting story in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you what, this... <laughs> This is different, but I feel like I need to read it, okay? Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It's not the kind of verses of Scripture you're going to see in your quiet time necessarily. Acts chapter 5, verses 1. Now, this is a revealer. This is in the New Testament now. This is after Jesus is resurrected, okay? He's gone, and the, the disciples are dealing with this. And it says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 5, watch this now. It says, A certain man named Anan, Ananias with his wife Sapphira and his wife sold a possession. And it and, and it's going to define what that possession is. And they kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we don't know what was talked about. We don't know what was agreed about, okay? They apparently had some type of agreement between the apostles, the church leadership, in this situation. But the Bible doesn't give all the details. But notice what verse 3 says. And Peter says to Ananias, why had, now watch this now. This is somebody bringing a gift to the church. <laughs> okay, I don't see our elders doing this. Anyway, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? So, so apparently there was a land situation. And then verse number 4, notice what it says. And while it remained, it was not your own. Notice what it says. While it remained, it was not your own. And after it was sold, was it not your was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Why have you lied? You have not lied to men, but to God. Woo! Look at verse number five, man. This is get interesting. And then Ananias, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Watch this. And so, what happened? So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Verse number six. It says, and the young man arose and wrapped up and carried him out. He died right there. Okay, notice the next verse. And they said it was about three hours later, and his wife comes in, not knowing what happened to her husband. In verse number eight, check this out. And Peter answered and said, tell us whether you sold the land for so much. Okay, he's testing her. And she said, yes, for so much. Look at verse nine. This is terrible. It's not really funny. Then Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who buried your husband. They're at the door, and they will carry you out. And the same thing happened to her. 
Man, money will absolutely mess you up if you handle it the incorrect way. Thank God. I mean, I'm glad people are not dying in church today over their giving. How about you? This is some serious stuff. I mean, you read that and you're thinking, wow. I mean, you know, again, so, but what, what's the point here, Pastor Brian? The point is here, again, it's not just lying to the apostles. I mean, that, apparently that was a serious condition. Where I'm coming from as a pastor is the motives of the heart, the sincerity of your heart. And when it comes to dealing with money, money is a revealer of heart motives. Back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. If they'll have Matthew 6, 24 in the New Living Translation up for me, please. Matthew 6, 24. Money is to serve us. We're not to serve money. Let's all say that together. Money is to serve us. We're not to serve money. And when you get that proper perspective, ladies and gentlemen, it lines itself up here with Matthew 6, 24. Thank y'all. Notice what it says. No one can serve two masters. Watch this. For you will hate one or love the, uh, love the other. You will be devoted to one or you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice what that phrase says. You can't do both. And these are not my words. These are whose words? These are Jesus' words. You can't serve God and money. And money is a driving thing. Again, it is subtle. But it's a driving thing. But also, if you will get the perspective of what? I'm going to serve God with my money. I'm going to enjoy where I am on the way to where I'm going through my life. And I'm not going to let money control me, but I'm going to control it. Richard's going to come up right now and he's going to take that microphone. And he's going to talk about, just for just a moment here, the most biggest thing we face as far as couples or individuals when it comes to financial decisions. And it's not necessarily a job situation. It is is the mortgage situation. Purchasing a house, as Richard and I talked about a little while ago, is the biggest decision that anybody can make. And I'm telling you what, it is a financial burden. Not only do you have the mortgage payment itself, but then you have all the responsibilities of a house. Richard, you and Misty, y'all came into a place where y'all attacked your mortgage in a pretty significant way and got it down to nothing and actually eliminated it. But again, how did you and Misty face the biggest obstacle that all of us face financially? Put your notes right there and share your well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I generally don't like the stage unless I'm making fun of people, and then I'll take it. But um, Well, you're an expert in this area. I, Go ahead. Yes. Thank you. But uh, uh, yes, first I'd say let's if we can, just for a minute, Pastor, yeah, let's please, go back please. to the Hebrews fit 13 when the, the key word is satisfied. Satisfied. If we don't know if we're satisfied, do this, because this happened to me. I changed jobs. And just do this, honestly. This is an honest test. Go home, one room, one room in your house that you have stuff in. Decided that day you're going to move everything out of that room. And I have to decide if I want to keep it or throw it away. Make sure it's packed with stuff, clothes, furniture, all your, your knickknacks. Halfway through, you'll start throwing away more stuff than you're keeping, deciding to keep. Mm. Has a lot to say about whether we're satisfied or not. That's a good point. Because we, we bought it and we wanted it. Right. But there's, you get to a point where you have possessions and you're, you're like, this is, now I'm fatiguing. Now I'm getting overwhelmed by this and I don't want it anymore. So all I need to do for Richard is when I'm out there buying the next shirt, the next pair of boots, the next belt, the next car, like this, just tap the brake and go, Richard, are you going to want to clean that out of your room in 10 years? Are you going to throw it away, give it away, or are you going to keep it? And if it falls into a category that I'm going to throw it away or give it away, then you're better off just keeping the money. Yeah. And that's, you can only have so much. That's but true. regarding the mortgage, Misty and I have paid off our, our uh, mortgage. We have gone back into debt on our mortgage, but that was an investment into a separate property. And so it is a tool. But for anybody that's in, in here, and I'm speaking mostly to the people under the age of 30, right. you want to own your own home. 
It's in all aspects for tax purposes, for wealth purposes, all the, it benefits you. So you have to make a goal. So it's got to be a goal. It's got to be a goal first. The first thing, what are you going to do? I'm going to own my house. Well, are you going to own your house wherever you want? No, it has to come to a focal point. Dave Ramsey says this, and it's about true with anything. When it comes to your health, your life, your kids, your finances, your job, if you don't aim for something, you'll hit it every time. Mm-hmm. You have to aim for something. Yes. What are you aiming at? I'm going to aim for a home. I'm going to aim for a home. So what's your family structure? What's your, what is it? It's just going to be in my wife, so I'm going to sit there and go, then you don't have to worry about schools. You can line that one out. I don't have to worry about schools. It's just going to be in my wife. We're just going to spend the rest of our lives just together. So it's those goals. The location. I'll say some locations are better than others. I'll say this. My mom bought her house in 1980 for $50,000. The neighborhood has leveled out. I don't think they're going to come in and start building a million-dollar homes in a neighborhood. <laughs> no, but so. currently in the tax rolls, when mom found houses, $200,000. So in 40 years, it's quadrupled in its value, and the neighborhood's plateaued. So the location is also crucial. So when you're doing that, say, okay, I know my family structure, and I know where I want to go, but what about the location? It matters to what extent that you want to build your wealth. It also has to be in the proximity of your job. Gas is not getting cheaper and it's longer to drive, so you want to do these things. But to your mortgage, this is one thing I want to sit there and say. Please. On a plan to your mortgage, you want plans, budgets. I just want to make an illustration here. Yeah, go ahead. So let's just say for sake of discussion, you want a $200,000 home. They're going to ask you to put probably 20 to 40% down depending on your first buyer. So your mortgage is anywhere from $160,000 to $180,000. At 5 and 7% interest, over 30 years, you're looking at just a principal and interest payment of $1,000. You tax interest, I mean, excuse me, you tax property tax and in, uh, insurance off of that, you're probably looking at a $2,000 house payment. It seems a lot, because most of us have a car payment that's 500 and we sit there and scramble to see if we can pay it. But that's not a lot, it really is not. That's true, Rich. Over the, a year, to cover a house note of $2,000, I mean, $2, you have to come up with $30,000 of gross income. Sounds like a lot, it's not a lot. If you work 40 hours a week, you're looking at a $15 an hour job. Mm-hmm. If you can find a job that pays you $15 an hour for 40 hours a week, you can buy a $200,000 home. Now, you're not going to eat or put electricity in it. <laughs> <laughs> but on a strategy, what are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? If you're not aiming at something, you're going to hit it every time. So how do I get there? Hey, listen, if I only have one bullet in my, my gun and I got to hit this guy, then make sure your aim's good. I just gave you one bullet to hit the target. Mm. You got to make sure you hit it, but you can hit it. But over the life of the loan, we sat there and Misty and I decided, and we had a discussion. We had a discussion. We had our first child. I sat down with her and I said, listen, you can stay at home and raise the kids. It changes the way how we move forward financially. And she told me, I love our kids. I don't love them that much. I'm going back to work. <laughs> So she decided to go back to work, and I said, okay, then I don't have a problem buying cars. I don't have a problem doing vacations on me, but we did that. So really, when we moved out of our first house in 19, uh, no, 2008, we were $12,000 away from paying that house note off, and we'd been in that house for 10 years. So that was our strategy. After we moved out of that house, we took a $160,000 note on the new house that we bought, and then we paid that thing off in 10 years. And all we did is this. We came with $200 a month. a month additional principal. We just dropped it on there. We shaved 10 years off of it. Now you're saying, Richard, that doesn't add up. Well, every time I got a little more, I did, but that was my aim. What is $200 a month? Let me at least, what are you aiming at? I'm gonna give you ammo. I'm gonna give you some guns. $200 a month is simply about, uh, I have my notes right here. That's fine. 
But if, basically, you have to come up with over uh, about $400 extra a month. And I was like, how do you do that? It's $129. This morning, Miss Bonnie knows this. I have a hard time getting here because this morning I donated plasma. They pay me 140 bucks a week to go to donate plasma. If you wanted to sit there and go, and I just need to come up with $200 a month, a week, you can go get a job, part-time job, $15 an hour. You don't even have to work 10 hours, really. There's ways of getting those additional monies. It all goes back to this. I can give you strategies. You can sit down with Mr. Anderson and I or anybody. Anybody out there can ask these questions. It just means paper and pen. That's it. That's all we need. The rest is all calculated. So what are we going to do? We come up with a plan, a budget. That's right. And really, it is very small when you start to see the degree of, of, of change. So what did Misty and I do in, 10 year, in, in the 20 years that we had our notes? These are the facts. We shaved off $75,000 of interest that we would have paid over the final 10 years of the note. That's $75,000 that I additionally paid in $200 principal payments that the interest never went to the mortgage company that resided in Misty's and my account. So you, when you get over a stretch of time, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you see the small, small increments of change, and you can see over time, it really makes a big impact. And this is one other thing that I want to say with the, the permission of the pastor. Oh, please. I do love money. I love it. Just like I love food. Just like I love my wife. Just like I love everything about this precious earth that God has given us. I love it. What do I love most about money? It's the fastest and easiest way to gut punch the devil. That's right. If you have somebody in this church, and we did, it, we did it this past month, that comes in with a crisis, they're fearful, they stand with the shadow of a threat over them. If it's sickness, I'll be the first to stand in line, Lord, Lord, I need help. My faith is not that strong. If it's a relationship, I think my wife or my husband is leaving me. Again, I fall into it. My kid's not doing well in school. I'm scared that they might end up on the wrong side of stuff. You're going to see me tremble. I don't have enough money to pay this bill. Write the check. Right. Every time, write the check. That's right. And that's what I love about money. It is the fastest and easiest. It is the low-hanging fruit when it comes to express the true love and generosity and mercy and grace of God. That's right. I love money because it's the tool that hits the devil the hardest that we can wield the easiest. That's exactly right. That's really Thank good, you. Richard. As a matter of fact, let's give him a hand. Let's say excellent. Um, actually, Richard was quoting a verse there in Ecclesiastes 10, 19. It says money is the answer, and he's exactly right. But if you don't manage money correctly and you don't have a sense of it controlling, if it's controlling you instead of you controlling it, then what happens? You'll not get to that place where it's a passionate tool to be used to help people. And then you're a place where all you're thinking about is your own survival. I'm just, you know, I can't help any other anybody else because uh, all I'm doing is taking care of myself. That's the beautiful thing about this relationship with the church. You know, when I purposed to found the church many years ago, I didn't want to borrow any money. The reason I didn't want to borrow any money is exactly the very principle that Richard was talking about. It's not the fact that I just didn't want to borrow out of pride. Let me just, just, let me just be very transparent with you. I'm a steward to the point of you know, a compulsion, the fact of what, especially with our giving to this church, where we spend our money. Now, there's always room of improvement. Even this week, I was studying the financials, and I've got like 100 questions direct to Amy concerning our budget, where I feel like areas where we can be more specific. 
But the real reason why that we don't borrow money is because of one thing. I, would, I don't want to pay a penny of interest to a mortgage company on this property. And because I felt like that money can be used, like Richard said, for us to have an account where we can help people. Because us helping you, and especially when it comes to two areas financially, number one, your mortgage situation, and number two, your health situation, we want to do our best to help you. Now, I realize the industry as far as the healthcare industry, as far as health insurance is in a question, but when it comes to your own living expenses as far as your house and possibly helping you to obtain a vehicle to go to work to make this money that Richard's talking about, these are areas where Metroplex Family Church wants to help you. And of course, we don't want to see anybody without food, but there are plenty of churches in the Metroplex that have food banks. But I'll tell you something that a lot of churches don't have and they stay away from is individuals like Richard Moore and Don Anderson that will meet you on a Wednesday night or another night and they will sit down with a heart of sincerity and go through your finances in confidentiality and with a method of prayer and sincere hope to try to help you come from a debt situation to being on top of that situation. No, it doesn't happen overnight, and no, a check doesn't solve immediately everything. But I'm telling you what, the preciousness about these two men and what we offer as a church is to take you from that place to where you should be, and then you in turn help others. That's what it's all about. And when we learn how to take money in that perspective, I'm telling you what, we are not only glorifying the Lord, but we're advancing his kingdom because Richard's right. Money is an answer to things. Money changes things. Money changes things when it's used correctly. And Ken Bauer and Virginia Bauer and John and Grace Cook left a legacy to change things. You and I drove on a parking lot and parked on a parking lot and looked at a beautiful American flag out front because two people took money to invest in the kingdom of God and make the kingdom of God advance itself. And I'm telling you what, we're excited in the days ahead about what we're going to see this church do financially.